Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I am your host, Tatiana Kasesanov. We hear a lot these days about high performance, and it's a go, 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 go world out there, and everybody's always running at 150%. But sometimes when you do that, the mind, the body starts to suffer a little bit. And so there's a whole new generation of people looking at how to maximize our health and our levels of performance while actually keeping ourselves healthy, in fact, by optimizing our health. It's a term known as biohacking. Now, by the biohacking world is full of a lot of big names and a lot of them are men. So it's very much my pleasure today to introduce an expert in female biohacking. So for all the ladies out there, prick your ears up. This is going to be a good episode. My guest this week, I'm delighted to welcome, is Angela Foster. Angela is a nutritionist and a health and performance coach. She's also a fellow podcaster and is host of the High Performance Health Podcast. She works with high-performing clients, including top CEOs, entrepreneurs, executives, and athletes. She's also the founder and CEO of MyDNA Edge, an uh, exclusive private membership site that provides members the tools and biohacks needed to optimize their genetic expression for optimal health and performance. She also follows a very holistic approach, and so she just fits right into our program here. So first of all, Angela, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to speak to me today. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. And that was a, a lovely introduction. Thank you. <laughs> You're more than welcome. We'd love to have you. Angela, everybody that I've ever spoken to in this kind of a field has got their own backstory. It's the classic mm. story of sort of like the wounded healer, that you solve your own problems before you suddenly realize you're in a position to be able to help others. So why don't you fill us in a little bit on, on your story and how you came to be doing what you do now, because it's certainly not where you started, is it? No, it very definitely isn't. And um, yeah, I actually started out as a corporate lawyer, um, kind of high charging in the city. Um, basically, you know, in my 20s, I think I think for a lot of people, not just women, but men as well, when you're in your 20s and you've got youth on your side, you can kind of get away with things um, for so long. And I was certainly pushing myself as hard as I could, playing hard and working hard. And then um, as many women do, in my early 30s, I started to have my um, three young children. And at this point, I was completely burnt out, really. I think I'd pushed myself so hard. And I was unfortunate insofar as I, I suffer terribly with postnatal depression. Um, it got sort of repeatedly worse with each of my three children. And I was absolutely exhausted. And ultimately, it all culminated in my immune system really dropping. Uh, and I ended up... Um, going to hospital actually for some tests for lung cancer, which was surprising as a non-smoker, but I was very ill at the time with a lung infection. And um, what they found actually was that I had double pneumonia, viral and bacterial. And it was a kind of defining wake up moment in my life really that day when I was told that I couldn't go home. My kids were at school. I couldn't say goodbye to them or tell them where mummy was. And I was immediately admitted into hospital and hooked up to all kinds of machines and drips and nebulizers and really fighting for my life, which was Ironic, really, because I think with um, the postnatal depression I'd experienced, I was finding myself almost contemplating suicide on a on a daily basis and just wanting to turn my brain off, really. And I guess you have to be careful what you wish for, because I was then presented in that moment 
with facing losing my life. Um, but I look back on that day as the most transformational day because I think I finally realized on my own in hospital that actually I was okay being with myself and that I was, I was happy with me and I wanted to be a part of my family's life. And, you know, my health turned around then. And when I left and got better, which took a few months, um, I then started to explore, well, there must be a way of succeeding um, you know, in this concept of high performance and succeeding in life, but being able to couple that with optimal health. And that sent me on a journey of personal discovery and also professional. And I completely retrained and left corporate law. And then I've since gone on to help others um, achieve the same. Wonderful. Wonderful. So how do you define biohacking? Um, that's, there's, you know, there's, there's, it, it's a huge field. And um, I mean, people like Dave Asprey and Ben Greenfield, I mean, you know, they're, they will talk about nutrition from one end, they talk about exercise. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, especially someone like Dave Asprey even goes right off absolutely into the extreme um, ideas mm-hmm. of, of of putting different chemicals in the body, doing different things to it. Um, what What's your picture of, of biohacking look like? Yeah, I think it's, um, there are extremes, like with anything. I mean, I see biohacking really as, you know, using lifestyle, holistic and scientific hacks to optimize your biology. Um, essentially, I think that's what it is at its core. And I've done a lot of training actually with Ben. I'm in a mastermind group with him, with Ben mm-hmm. Greenfield. Mm-hmm. And he very much is all about mind, body, and spirit optimization. And I come at it from the same angle because I think that all these um, additional things that you can buy in terms of devices or, you know, really taking things on another, another level with injectables and stem cells, all those things are great. But if you haven't got the basics right, then they're probably just nice to have and they're not going to make a meaningful shift. Um, and that was certainly my experience with my own health is that getting those basics in place actually then just started to optimize my performance as a human and my own biology. And I felt healthier. Um, even simple things as a woman, you know, my menstrual cycle regulated and um, I saw improvements in fertility, for example. I think all of those things have an impact, but we can, yeah, we can explore those. But essentially, I think we need to focus on getting the less sexy parts right first before we then actually go and buy these additional things, which are amazing. That being said, I am certainly all about the most effective dose. So I think that particularly as I focus on high performance, how can we do things in the most time efficient way that give us superior results? And that's really what I look at. And that's where I incorporate genetics as a part of that. Right. You just said the buzzword, genetics. So in your opinion, how much is genetics a relevant factor? Because, you know, if I come from the science world where genes are everything, um, there's, there's no other way of looking at the world. They determine absolutely everything. I don't personally share that view. I think modern science is also beginning to show us that the environment plays a very big role, the whole idea of epigenetics and so on and so forth. I'm also personally a great believer that that mind has a massive role in in our health and well-being. Where do you stand on that? Because you incorporate genetic analysis as as one of your tools. So I'm just interested to see where you where you position that in the relevant scale. Yeah, sure. So I'm very much in agreement with you. I think genetics is one part, but they are not our destiny. And I think that what we need to look at is what are our underlying genetics in terms of we may have risk factors in certain areas, 
But for the most part, we actually have a greater control over them than we think. And so by looking at our environment, our nutrition, and also our mindset, I think you make a very good point there. I think that our thoughts become our words, they become our actions, and they, you know, they talk to our genes in real time. Um, so I think that's just as important. And I don't think we can, you know, distinguish between the mind and the body. They are one together. And so I like to use all of those factors to really try to influence our genetics in the most positive way so that we can optimize our health outcomes. Great. So what sort of genes um, do you do you look at, for example? Yeah. Um, what's so, the process um, if somebody was to come to you? Mm. So most times I would say I do always start by looking at people's genetics. I think it gives us a very quick guide to where they are. Sometimes we'll do the whole sequencing, um, depending on what the client wants. Sometimes we'll look at arrays that have some very solid science behind them that show the client has a predisposition or a tendency in one area or another. But fundamentally, I think that the, one of the most important areas I look at is getting nutrition right for your genetics. So I think we have a lot of diets out there at the moment. Um, and we can see it doesn't really matter which diet you pick, whether that's the keto diet, low carb, um, carnivore, vegan or vegetarian, there are always people that are getting amazing results on these nutrition plans. But then there's a whole host of other people who maybe aren't seeing results on the same plan. And I think that does very much come down to genetics. So in particular there, what we know is that we process carbohydrates and we process fats in different ways, depending on certain pathways in our body. So it may not be right, for example, somebody with a strong genetic predisposition to familial hypercholesterolemia, that would not necessarily be appropriate for them to go on a strictly ketogenic diet where they're eating a lot of saturated fats. But for a large percentage of the population, actually a keto diet can work very well in terms of optimizing mental focus and cognition, and also in terms of optimizing their body composition. Similarly with carbohydrates, what we'll see is that some people are more sensitive to um, carbohydrates and their bodies process the sugar and break them down, the sugars in those carbs much more quickly. And so we see elevated insulin levels and they're more predisposed to things like diabetes. And again, sugar turns to fat. So they may then be more predisposed to things like heart disease as well. So by understanding what their sensitivities are, we can optimize their nutrition according to their genetics. Great, great. Makes a lot of sense, a super amount of sense. And I think I think that kind of area of exploration, um, looking at the genetic control of metabolism, essentially, is mm. something which is probably going to also enter mainstream science pretty soon, because I think the over, you know, the evidence is overwhelming that we do have these different ways of processing. And then the whole idea of the dirty genes as well, of, of how well we actually process certain, certain particular foodstuffs not just the macronutrients but you know things like you know the folate and the uh those sorts of things do you do you look at those um elements as well these kind of like um the dirty yeah genes? so Perhaps i can actually well. describe more uh clearly what they are <laughs> yeah for sure so i do look at those um so beyond kind of looking at the way that we process fats and carbohydrates as you mentioned then we can look at things like the genes that um have been identified around a a process known as methylation, mm -hmm. which is a really, really important process in the body. So we're methylating 
all of the time. So an example that helps people understand is that, you know, serotonin is the neurotransmitter that boosts our mood and makes us feel motivated and happy. And if we have sufficient levels of, me- of serotonin, then we can methylate that into melatonin, which will make us sleepy and help enhance our sleep cycles and fall asleep naturally at night. So it's a fundamental process that we need. Um, in some people, we will see the key gene that's been um, identified there or SNP is the MTHFR. And in some people, we'll see that that is impaired at a baseline level. Now, whether or not that is playing out, because as we mentioned earlier, we have the epigenetics, which is how our genes are playing out by their environment in real time, is another question. And we can go on to test that by looking at things like Genova Diagnostics do some very good testing in terms of methylation pathways. So if we see that a client is um, getting symptoms or is at high risk, but often um, if we've identified it genetically, then we'll start to support them. With things like you've just mentioned, folate is very important in the methylation cycle, um, making sure that we're not getting high levels of homocysteine, which do predispose people. It's been linked to cardiovascular risk. Um, also, uh, B12 is very important. So again, if you know we had somebody who, for example, was on a vegan or vegetarian diet and their MTHFR gene looks under par, then that's even more reason to support them with adequate things like B12, which is harder to find. Um, Similarly, B6 is important and also things like Mm omega-3. So ultimately what we're looking at is as well in a general concept is we want to manage blood sugar variation and we also want to keep inflammation low. And that's something that, again, has a genetic component. So we know that some people genetically will um, kind of prioritize the processing of omega-6 fats that they're more pro-inflammatory, they go down a more pro-inflammatory pathway, and they may need higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids to offset that and to lower inflammation. And then again, within that, we can see that conversion rates can be lower. So as an example, with omega-3s, we want to be getting sufficient levels of EPA and DHA. And these are essential fats that we have to make, we can't, uh, that we have to find in our diet, we can't make them. Now, when we're eating animal foods, so if we're getting EPA and DHA from eggs, um, from uh, oily fish, uh, pasture-raised meat, then the animal has done that conversion for us, and they seem to be pretty efficient at doing it. However, if we're getting it from a vegan vegan or vegetarian source, like flaxseed oil, for example, or walnuts or even sea algae, then we've got to do that conversion ourselves. And what we'll see is that in some individuals, that conversion process can be as low as between 2 and 10%. So they may need further support there. So it's it's really about under, uh, finding underlying risk factors and then taking those and optimizing their nutrition and building in any supplements as needed to really support the client. Wonderful, wonderful. One of the things that I think moving away from the genes now that that I mm. saw that you also focus on, which which I think again is is a is a, a new area of research, perhaps that that's really kind of taking um, the world by storm because we're just beginning to really appreciate how important it is. Is this whole idea of circadian rhythm management? Um, yeah. I recently spoke to um, Professor Russell Foster, who is one of the UK's and the world's leading experts on sleep and circadian rhythms. Um, he was the one who actually um, identified one of the um, chemicals in the eye that actually responds to light, that actually governs um, the clock, that isn't actually just responsible for vision amazing amazing work and you know 
I think it's something which which we're just beginning to really start to really appreciate. We're beginning to understand so much more. How much of that do you bring into your work and where do you focus on particularly within that kind of whole area of circadian, you know, working with our natural rhythms, essentially? Mm. Yeah, that's, um, as you say, a very interesting and developing area and very important because when we're out of alignment with our circadian rhythm, actually, that's when we see our um, risk of chronic diseases like cancer, heart disease, etc., cetera, um, increasing. And <clears throat> I think it's different for many people. You may have, you may be familiar actually with the work of Dr. Michael Bruce, who wrote the power mm-hmm. of when, mm-hmm. um, and, um, people can go on and do his online questionnaire, which actually identifies whether you are a lion, as he calls it more of a morning person or a night owl. Um, and I think that once we know that information, we can start to optimize our schedules a little bit more around it. So, and it can be difficult because it's it's one of those things where, particularly if we're married or we have children, we may be out of alignment with our own and maybe more in sync with someone else's. But I think we are flexible a little bit. Um, but chronotyping is largely genetic. So a lot of people will know that, you know, I know I'm a morning person. I wake up really early. I feel bright eyed and um, I'm kind of, you know, gearing up very quickly and I do my best work. Whereas for other people, they just can't get going early in the morning. And sometimes they might find their creativity is best at night. And I think that we see better performance when we optimize with that circadian rhythm. Um, And we also, it's very health protective, but we've got to live within the normal parameters of a day as well. So unless you're an entrepreneur that can live on their own time, if you've got a job to go to, then you've actually got to try and sync within that. But I think as people better understand what their own circadian rhythm is, they can then start to shift their schedule slightly around it. And also, if, for example, you identify whether that's through questionnaires or through actually testing your DNA or your own gut instinct, that you're somebody that's struggling with sleep, then often those individuals are more light sensitive. So they're more sensitive to blue light at night and that um, inhibition of the production of melatonin. So in those people, we'd want them to be turning off devices in a good amount of time before bed, maybe using blue light blocking glasses if they have to go on them or something like the Airflux software to minimize that exposure. But also what a lot of people don't realize is that it all begins with the morning So making sure that you're getting that blue light naturally from the sun early in the day can be very, very helpful as well um, in setting you up for that next night's sleep. Um, The modern executive also travels a lot these days. So, Mm. um, you know, jet lag is a a total issue that throws your circadian rhythm absolutely for a loop. So what do you um, what do you advise people like that who are who are really challenged to to be able to follow their own natural rhythms? Yeah, I think it, I think that jet lag is very difficult and it also it depends on which way across the world you're going. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we know, so obviously we have the SEN in the brain, superchiasmatic mm-hmm. nucleus, which responds to light. Um, but we also have other clocks. So within all of our organs, there are clocks that are governing this circadian cycle, um, circadian rhythm. And so one of the things I would say with jet lag is that when you're moving time zones, you want to make sure that you're eating in the new time zone. So for example, if you're getting an overnight flight somewhere, I would suggest that you don't eat on the flight and that you try to then optimize yourself with the time zone that you're going to. And then when you arrive there, even if you're hungry, you're best off fasting for a little bit until you meet the next meal time of that time zone. And that can actually really start to help um, speed up that process. 
But sometimes, you know, there's also this element that actually we can't force it. You know, we can't suddenly make ourselves five hours ahead or behind. It's it, we've got to go with it a little bit um, and try and sort of be kind to ourselves and use naps and things at the right time, going out and grounding, walking barefoot, getting out in the natural light as well. When you arrive in that time zone can be really helpful as well. Um, but it is a challenge, particularly for people who are doing a lot of transatlantic travel. Absolutely. Absolutely. And bearing in mind that flying, as we know, leaves the largest carbon footprint. Perhaps all of this Mm -hmm. will encourage us to do just a lot less of it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, an area actually that's going that, you know, a few people are doing a lot of research into moment as well is for women is not just looking at our circadian rhythm, but the infradian rhythm where those are ones that last more than a day and looking at the menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. And that's actually really something that I'm spending a bit of time researching at the moment because it's very interesting. And I think, you know, we're not little men as women and we can't necessarily for those 30, 40 (laughs) years, (laughs) that we're, uh, we're menstruating, we can't just push ourselves. And I think women intuitively know this. They know that they're not able to push hard, you know, every single day out of that month. And we are more creative at certain times of the month. We are more, um, you know, we're better able to do strength-based workouts at certain times of the month. Um, so, you know, for example, we know that with, if we're looking at the circadian clock, so our biological clock, then we're probably more alert around 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, but we have, you know, greater coordination, for example, in the afternoon and faster reaction times. But then that's sort of a, a general one. Then women have this extra clock on top in terms of their menstrual cycle. And actually, you know, when they're menstruating, that's the time to be a bit kinder maybe and a bit gentler and to do other things like yoga and more restorative practices. And I think it's about being in tune with your body because actually you can save a lot of time by doing your best work if you're more in alignment, as you say. So that, again, is a growing area um, of research. And there's a few people that have, have done quite a bit in it. I think Stacey Sims on the exercise front has done quite a bit. And there's another book in the flow that came out recently all about that. Um, So I think women can really look at that. And I always encourage with my clients to actually journal because I think that's where we get the best data and to understand how their sleep is, how refreshed they feel, you know, when they're craving carbohydrates more, when, when is the time to stop? Right. Right. Absolutely. I find this a fascinating subject because, you know, I've always said that, you know, unfortunately, the success in the modern world for women means that they have to be second rate men instead of first rate women. Um, Mm. And, you know, women are different. You know, we do have a slightly different biology. And I would never um, uh, go as far as to say that, that one is better or worse than the other. They are just different. And we need to start perhaps playing to the strengths and the weaknesses that that menstrual cycle actually does offer women because it also offers, as you said, great advantages. I mean, I think it's really, really clear, for example, that the um, there's a whole load of, of subliminal um, imperceptible changes that people notice of women during their cycles that, you know, when a woman is ovulating, for example, she just tends to be more relaxed. She tends to be more open. She tends to be more attractive. It's it's nature, you know, it's doing its thing. Mm. And these are the things that we've tried so hard to sort of ignore and push women into this sort of like box that every man is also in. But we, we have a slightly different biology. So I love the fact that you're starting to focus on that. And I'd like to go a bit deeper into that area. So 
you talked about the menstrual cycle in terms of things like resting. Um, what what differences do you see and where do you place emphasis when you are advising women as opposed to men when we're talking about biohacking? Yeah, so I think like at certain times of the month, then our strength is going to be that much higher. So I don't think, for example, that pushing a woman to do high-intensity style workouts all the way through the month is necessarily going to give her the best results. You know, in the early stages, often actually doing some cardiovascular work can be really helpful. And then moving on to more hip-based and kettlebell training um, around the middle of the month before then kind of tapering off um, and maybe doing something more restorative and that works really well. I mean, you've see, we've seen that for a long time in exercise programs anyway, this concept of not constantly pushing and having mm-hmm. what would be known in, you know, for men, they would often use that as a deload week effectively. Mm-hmm. And that would happen every sort of three to four weeks. But I think with women, if you can optimize that with your cycle and accept that, actually, that's a lot better. And there are times when, as you say, women are then more open, they're more creative, they've got more ideas. And other times when they're just more efficient and can get that volume of work done and I think there's a lot of pressure on women at the moment particularly as mothers you know it's very hard to get away from the fact that we are the primary carers for our children Um, and our children want that you know there's a there's an amazing thing you know as a mother myself it's so nurturing and that magical love that you get from a child you don't want to miss out on it and I think that we are living in exciting times because I really certainly think with all the research that's going on at the moment um, there's going to be a lot more things opening up for women to really understand and become much more in tune with their biology um, right. to make a difference for them. Right. What about things like nutrition? Um, how do, do you advise changes in nutrition over the month? Because, I mean, presumably the hormonal effect um, also influences how we process our calories, you know, um, that we burn food at different rates over the course of the month. And also, like, you know, even if you think about the fact that, that women, we know that if women go below a certain fat, amount in the body um, that the menstrual cycle actually stops because you know the biology says well wait a minute you know you're so lean um, or you're doing so much exercise that now's not a good time to reproduce this is not um, it's essential for the species but it's not essential for you as an individual so we just switch that off for now and it takes sometimes quite a while to get that turn back on so how do you how do you advise women in in that area that that they make sure that they don't over exercise and that they eat correctly and adjust that throughout the cycle yeah sure so I think there's certain times when as you say we are more um, sensitive to carbohydrates times when we need to have more fats within our diet Mm -hmm. and I look at that alongside I like to take that information as I say alongside their genetics to see it I think in terms of stress levels, I think if women push themselves too hard, then we will see fluctuations in their menstrual cycle pretty quickly. Similarly as well, we're much more sensitive. You were mentioning travel before. We're much more sensitive in that regard as well. Um, if we're going across time zones, even those small differences can actually affect our ovulation and our menstrual cycle. And so I think that you see best results with women when you actually take a little bit of a step back and allow them to work within that Um, and not push themselves so hard. And as I say, so even on an exercise, you know, I would create an exercise program that allows them to access all different areas, but not in the same way necessarily as a man. So we might say for a man that, you know, you strength train on this day, you do some, you know, um, 
some cardiovascular work on this day, we might actually optimize and say, well, actually, we're going to do some more of the HIIT style training in the middle of the month. Um, and then we're going to lessen things off and calm them down at other stages just to support women in their biology. Sleep's really, really important as well, because, again, that can affect the menstrual cycle and also making sure that, you know, you're getting enough. We talked earlier about um, the MTHFR gene. We want to make sure that women are detoxifying effectively and that we're supporting their liver and that they're getting plenty of cruciferous vegetables in their diet, because that really helps to um to detoxify any kind of excess estrogen as well that they're getting, because obviously we're seeing estrogen rising initially, and then we go into more of a progesterone phase. So I think that um, there's lots of things that, that women can do to help in that regard. Um, and just to be more in tune rather than resisting it. I think, I mean, I think it was Stacey Sims actually that did some work as well, looking at um, women who were competing at a very high athletic level and just at different times of their cycle, how much more dehydrated they would come and mm-hmm. they would be more likely to pass out. And I think it's very difficult because for athletes, and that's where there are definitely emerging science going on, is looking at female athletes and actually supporting them in that way rather than pushing their training um, all the way through. Fantastic, fantastic. Um We've talked a lot about um, looking at, at nutrition and exercise. So, so mm. when a client comes to you, and, and we focused on women, but let's let's make sure that everybody knows that, mm. that you also um, have a lot of male clients. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, when we're looking at, at biohacking for high performance as a as a general idea, um, could you maybe go through the main areas that you focus on and? Um, what kind of things you'd be looking at and what sort of a diet advice you'd be giving to your to your clients? Yeah, sure. So I kind of look at seven key areas in terms of supercharging your energy that I think are important to get right. And then I would then work to personalize their daily routines um, based around those seven areas. So as I mentioned, I don't think we can distinguish between the mind and body. I think they both need to be strong. But I think that exercise is not an option, if I'm honest. I think that one of the first S's, I have like the seven S's that I use, is to strengthen the mind and body. And that is so important. So if we're not um, exercising, we're definitely missing out because that really is putting us at a greater risk of chronic disease. Um, And I think that on other cues, your body is actually going to tell you some of the other things to do. So if you're not getting enough sleep, eventually you will fall asleep. It will naturally, you'll be so tired unless you're really you know, over-egging the caffeine. Um, similarly, if you're hungry, you'll get some cues to eat. It's then within your control to eat appropriately. Um, but I think with exercise, we're not naturally getting the urge to exercise. So getting up and moving around is really, really important. So keeping your body strong. And that doesn't just mean, you know, in terms of muscular strength, it's about mobility and flexibility as well. Um, strength training definitely plays a part. It has a huge impact on bone health. Not just a lot of people think of it for women only, but it's just as important really for men. It's just that we're, you know, as women, once we go through the menopause, we're at greater risk of losses in bone density. So that would be the first thing I look at is strengthening. And then within that, how can we create a program that's very time efficient for them to do it? I think people often assume that we need to exercise for an hour a day and then that's it. Actually, what we want to be doing is increasing our overall movement. So walking much, much more, getting up, having a kettlebell by your desk, 
swinging it, you know, when you've done 30 minutes of work, doing a few kettlebell swings, sometimes using doorway triggers like a pull-up bar in the doorway, anything that really gets your body moving throughout the day, going outside and getting a walk, even if that's just 10 minutes when you go out to get some lunch, can make a, a massive difference. Um, and that in turn obviously will help your sleep. But then we do actually need to do some resistance work because doing whether that's resisting the weight of our body or resistance work in terms of weight training, that's going to help not just build strong muscles, but also um, strengthen our bones. So that's really, really important. So that's one area is to strengthen. And then I look at what I call super fuel. So that is really energizing the body through the fuel that we have and that's three main areas so making sure that we're hydrated is super important but a lot of people think well i'll just drink more water actually we want to make sure that we're getting enough minerals so people are commonly you know taking salt out of their diet having something like a celtic sea salt really important you can have that with a bit of lemon um, sprinkle of the salt in the morning when you wake up just to rehydrate um, and making sure we're getting enough minerals, things like magnesium, very important. So hydrating well. Um, also, the food that we eat, which I won't go into too much because we've talked about that quite extensively, but getting your nutrition right. And then the other part of super fuel is actually light. And I think that we're underestimating the impact that light has. So we're spending a lot of time indoors with junk light, um, which isn't great. You know, it has an effect on our eyes in terms of macular degeneration, we want to be making sure that we're getting the blue light from the sun as much as we can, but also aligning our circadian rhythms by using red light. So one of the things that I've been using recently um, is a red light that I got from a company called Red Light Rising. I know in the States, um, they use the Juve a lot. Um, this is really, really helpful. It can help the production of ATP in our cells. Um, you know, we, if we didn't have ATP, we'd be dead within 60 seconds. So that's really our energy system. Um, and so getting in front of a red light can help. It can help with skin health. It can help with organ health. Really important. So that's something that I personally do. And I do a lot with my clients as well is to do a morning red light therapy session um, for around 10 to 12 minutes. Um, and sometimes, you know, I'll meditate in front of that, for example, or read or do gratitude journaling. So that's um, the strength and the super fueling in those three ways. Uh, the next one is sleep. So I do look in great detail, actually, at people's sleep. I um, We don't have video, do we, on this, but I wear an aura ring. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think any of these trackers are that accurate yet. I think the technology is really going to be coming on in the next few years, and we'll see some big changes. But I know, um, for example, Matthew Walker, who wrote the book Why We Sleep, he, mm -hmm. he would use the aura ring. It's probably the most accurate, that and the whoop on the market. And as long as you're self-quantifying with any device and it's the same one for you, you're getting an idea of your rhythms and how they're working so I you know the first thing I do when I wake up is have a look well how do I feel and check in with myself first of all in terms of my rest but then also what was my deep sleep like appreciating that probably the aura is about 60% accurate mm -hmm. but even within that how was it compared to the night before what things are affecting it you know did I minimize my blue light exposure did I make sure that I ate in good time before dinner, which I'll come uh, before going to sleep, which I'll come on to in a moment. Um, and looking at the deep sleep and REM sleep that we're getting, these are important for repair. Uh, you know, beauty sleep really does exist. Absolutely. We have a release of, um, yeah, of growth hormone, which helps our cells look and feel good. There's a lot of repair work that's done. You know, there's, um, we think that the brain is washing itself of things like amyloid plaque that can build up. So sleep is something that I really didn't respect as a corporate lawyer. And I think many people don't in those jobs, but I, you know, through force of circumstances initially, but now um, really do pay attention to. So I will have a look then 
as we've already mentioned, you know, looking at people's genetics there is helpful to understand their circadian rhythm and also how well they sleep naturally. Um, so some people are maybe a bit more of a light sleeper. And then we can look at things in the evening to help optimize their sleep cycles. Um, making sure that you don't eat close to bedtime is really important because when you're, there's a few things really, growth hormone only really gets released properly in good amounts in the absence of insulin. So we want to make sure that we're having our meal, particularly if it's containing carbohydrates, at least three hours before bed. Um, also, if we're digesting food, whether that's you know food or alcohol, things like that, that's going to raise our body temperature. And actually, to have a really good night's sleep, our body temperature needs to drop. Now, again, with women, you're going to see variations monthly in this if they're menstruating, um, but we want to keep the room cool. Things like a chili pad can work well. Um, particularly if your partner's hotter or, you know, if the, if the woman's going through the menopause and that can cool the body, but you want to have a cool body temperature. So there's a whole host of things that I would look at around there in terms of sleep. Um, another area, the fourth S would be stress. So this is looking at managing stress. And again, some of this, if we look at the COMPT gene is genetic, the way that we process um, things like dopamine in the brain will affect our own perception of stress. And so if we know we're someone that's more vulnerable, then we can target that with um, breathwork practices and meditation and mindfulness to try and offset some of those. So managing stress is really important. We know that if cortisol is high, um, then insulin tends to be higher as well. It's closely correlated with um, obesity and weight gain and other chronic diseases. So I work with clients in terms of managing their stress and also on a performance level, you know, we're never going to be as creative if we're in this preservation mode of stress. And then I talk about um, stimulating. So this is where we actually want to stimulate good amounts of stress. And this is a concept known as hormesis. So hormesis is a good stress that helps our biology adapt and strengthen. So this is practices like alternating between hot and cold. So I like clients to use hot and cold showering in the morning. Um, you know, these are small forms of stress, um, you know, doing physical activity that pushes us, you know, once every two weeks, for example, doing some mitochondrial sprints, which really push ourselves in terms of the cardiovascular health and enhancing the um, density and the amount of our mitochondria can be really helpful. If you do that on a daily basis, that's probably too much. And then you're mm -hmm. overstressing the body. So we look at things like that um, in terms of the stress. So what have we gone through? I've given you, um, I need to make sure I remember the number now. So we've got sleep, uh, super fuel, stress, um, stimulate. We also look at sex. Sex is amazing for health. People massively underestimate this, but it's really important. We're actually designed to be sexually active throughout our lifetime. Yeah, raises um, your natural killer cells, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's really and it's fun, right? People are more relaxed, they're happier, they sleep better. Um, and also it's a longevity tool. Um, so it's 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 a really important thing to get right as well. Um, so, and then um, I'm trying to remember now what I've gone through to make sure I've given you all seven. So we've got sleep, stimulate, stress management, super fuel, um, sex, and strengthening. And those are the key ones, I would say. Um, stress management's a really important one. There's been quite a bit of work that's been done with the military. I mentioned the comp gene. That is important. So there's quite a bit of work that's been done with the military, looking at the recruits and seeing whether or not um, they're more predisposed to stress. So some people are. And I think that if you are somebody who is, 
um, then that's when you need to maybe take more time in terms of mindfulness practices and meditation, because actually that will protect you then in times of stress. We all go through, you know, times of stress in our life. So that's really important. And then that brings me to the last one, which is stillness. I do believe that everyone should find a bit of time for stillness each day. Not everyone is, you know, in terms of the doctrine religious per se. Um, but I think that we are, you know, interconnected beings. And so I like to encourage people to have that time for stillness, to discover their own connection with themselves and with others. Um, and doing things like journaling, gratitude, meditation can be really helpful um, as well. So those are kind of my seven S's. And then within that, I sort of interweave the genetics and the lifestyle factors and also the goals that people have to really get them performing at their best. Sounds perfectly, makes total sense and sounds absolutely amazing. My only, my only concern would be sort of when I listen to that, it sounds like, okay, so when do I have time to do anything else? Because this, <laughs> this can occupy the whole yes. day. I mean, you know, you, you've only got to look on an, any blog or YouTube video or medium or whatever, and you, you mm. realize that, you know, the, the morning uh, routines, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's two in the afternoon by the time you've done them all. So, yeah, some of those um, are. Exactly. So um, how, how, does, how can you kind of like... Um, break this down so that it's actually something that's doable and because I think that's also part of the motivation for people if they find that it's an enormous mountain that they have of of tasks you know on top of all of the other tasks that they have to do like a job you know and yeah exactly um, it's too much it can be a bit intimidating so how do you how do you make this how do you make this easy for people to actually do Yeah, for sure. Um, That's a great question. So basically what I encourage people to do is I don't think there's no way there is such a thing as the 5am club. We're not all designed to get up at 5am. And we talked about that. Some people are on a later sleep cycle. I think that most people benefit massively if they can get up 10 to 15 minutes earlier than they currently do, unless they have a really dialed in routine. And the reason for that is that how you start your day very much sets the tone for the rest of the day. And so that would be, we know that um, our kind of brainwave state in the morning is most tuned to things like meditation practices. So I would encourage people to wake up, use the bathroom, and then the first thing they do is maybe I would, and this is part of my own routine, I would do literally a few simple sun salutation exercises to get my blood flow going. And that helps me just connect my mind and body. I think movement's a great way to do that. And you can find sun salutations on any kind of YouTube video. Mm -hmm. It will literally take you two or three minutes, but you've got out of bed and you're just moving your body. And then I would move into the stillness where you just find that time just to be with your own thoughts. You can do a guided meditation or you can just breathe deeply for a few minutes. Even if you did it because you were busy that day for 60 seconds, it's still going to set you up for the day. So I wouldn't encourage anyone to have some kind of really elaborate morning routine. In terms of gratitude, as you're walking to the bathroom, you can think of three things that you're grateful for today. You don't always necessarily have to write them down. The time that I would encourage something like journaling would be if someone's really working through issues, then I think it can be helpful. I also think that writing down the night before everything that you need to get done and then releasing that so you get a a good night's sleep is really important. And then when you wake up, you've already got a plan for that day and you're going to be that much more productive. Any practices that I get clients to do are all designed to give them back time. Um, 
once you've done that movement practice, um, when you're getting in the shower, you can just gently switch the shower between hot and cold, and then you're getting that exposure. You'll feel amazing. I've got to tell you, a lot of people don't want to cold shower initially. Oh, I know. When it's, they've it's done it. Horrifying thought. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to start with your feet. Or the, the alternating works really amazing, I have to say. But by the time you come out, you just feel on fire. You feel so energized and ready to start the day. So we've already hit quite a few practices there. So we've done some stillness, we've done some homesis, we've stimulated, we've hit that S, um, and we've done um, what we were doing there, and we've done some stretching work, right, or some, some flexibility and movement. And then throughout the day, as I say, having a kettlebell or something by your desk or going out for a walk can help to get that overall movement. Having an under-desk treadmill, if you can, can really help when you're taking calls or going for a walk outside when you're taking calls. And then scheduling in workouts, they need to be done in the most time-efficient manner. If you don't have time to work out, then just do a Tabata set. So I don't know if you're familiar with Tabata, um, but this is a four-minute exercise program. So it is literally you pick one exercise, whether that's body weight squats or press-ups or whatever it is that you want to do, and you basically you can download a free app on your phone, which is the Tabata app, and then you do 20 seconds of that activity followed by 10 seconds rest, and then 20 seconds. You repeat that eight times, and this has been shown to be absolutely amazing for muscular endurance and for also for body composition. Um, it's created by a Japanese scientist by the name of Tabata. And it sounds surprisingly easy. And people probably think, well, I'm never going to get a good workout out of that. If, if you try Tabata, eight Tabata sets of squats or press-ups, I guarantee you're going to feel like you exercised after it. So again, sometimes less is more. Um, while you're boiling the kettle or making your coffee in the morning, you can be doing body weight squats. You have a mini trampoline at home and hop on. So these don't need to be big things um, that you're doing. In terms of sex, loads of people will say I don't have time for this, <laughs> especially if they've got young children. I think that's easy. And I think if we can make time for our partners, it's really important, even if that's just once a week. Um, just it doesn't have to be, you know, full on sex, but just time to be with them. Maybe go out for, a, for dinner together. Something like that is really, really important. Super fueling yourself. That's something you're going to integrate as part of your day in terms of the way you hydrate and eat. Um, we probably haven't got time to talk about intermittent fasting, but making sure you're eating the right good, th the, the right things as we've spoken about is important. And then making sure that there's times when you're not eating as well for at least 12 hours a day, anywhere between 12 to 16 hours for men and, and around 12 hours for women. Otherwise you risk kind of disrupting their hormones a bit too much. Um, you can have something like a red light and meditate in front of it. Again, there's net time. So where you're doing two practices at once can be really helpful. But that's really what I do is try and integrate them into my clients' days with their busy lives. As you know, I work a lot with kind of high-performing clients that are CEOs and they have very limited time. But they find that they get it back because their productivity and energy is so enhanced by those practices. Wonderful. And at the end of the day, I think when you incorporate all of those practices you actually get the opportunity to enjoy life which is really mm. what it's all about isn't it <laughs> yeah absolutely we feel like a total rock star so <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah you you can enjoy it that much more Angela our time has slipped away I can't believe it it's uh it's fascinating talking to you I, I would actually like 
really could talk to you for hours longer, but uh, so it is. Um, how can people best get in touch with you so that they can maybe find out more and, and get your help to optimize their health and performance? Yeah, sure. Um, so they can find me on my website, which is AngelaFosterPerformance.com. Um, I'm probably most active in terms of social media platforms on Instagram. So if they look for me there, Angela S. Foster, um, I'm always there and on my story as well. They can DM me at any time. Um, I'll happily answer their questions. I have a podcast, High Performance Health. And then if they want to find out a little bit more about um, about kind of an introduction to biohacking in the DNA, then there's a free mini course that I have on that. They can just go to bit.ly, so bit.ly forward slash DNA optimization. That's with a Z. And there's a little free kind of five or six part mini course there where they can find out a bit more. Um, so yeah, those are the key ways really. And um, you have a Facebook group coming up? I do. I'm actually, yes, we were talking about that earlier. I'm actually, so on this female biohacking, which I mentioned was a real area in terms of the menstrual cycle and things that I'm looking at at the moment, I am setting up if people want to come a brand new Facebook group called Female Biohacker, um, really to create a community of women. Sorry to the men on this, um, (laughs) but you can find me on all the other places I've mentioned uh, to help women optimize their own circadian rhythms, their menstrual cycle and come together as a community of women who really want to achieve that optimal health and performance together. That sounds absolutely great. And we'll put all the links in the show notes so that uh, people can can get get to you more easily. Um, I always ask three little questions to all of my guests. Um, London Heal is all about mind, body, spirit, medicine. And I like to uh, think of that in terms of health, happiness and serenity. We've kind of obviously talked about all of those subjects today, but this time I want to kind of get a bit more personal. So for you personally, um, what's your definition of health? My definition of health is living a limitless life. If I can do anything I want to do, then I think I'm healthy. So if I wake up in the morning and I feel that I can go and go for a walk, go for a run, spend time with my family, then I know that I'm in good health. But I think it is a, I think that health is something that we make happen. We create health. It isn't just there. And I think that it's a daily practice really in terms of optimizing our mind and body. I think you've got to take both to the gym effectively, not necessarily a gym, but I think we've got to work on it daily um, because it's a real privilege. And I, and certainly when I faced losing my life, I realized what a privilege it is to wake up and be healthy. Absolutely. Wonderful, wise words. And happiness. What does Angela do to get happy? Happy. Well, I think... People are always in search of happiness, aren't they? I think I love to, gratitude's a big way for me to get happy. Um, Looking in my kids' eyes, that's just truly magical. Sometimes just being present and forgetting the what ifs and maybes and all that and just being here. And I think if you're not feeling happy at any time, maybe just connecting with yourself and thinking, well, what was it? Because often there's something Um, that changed your state, whether that was something someone said to you or maybe the worst things that ever get said to us are actually the things we say to ourselves. So maybe it was a thought and just tracking back and capturing that. And then if you just really can't get out of a fog, then do something like put on some music, putting on some music that's happy and just sounds crazy, but just dancing for a few minutes makes you feel amazing and alive. 
Wonderful. And the last one is serenity. You you captured that in the idea of your stillness. So so we're totally on the same wavelength there because I mm. also think it's hugely important that we we find a way to reconnect with ourselves and turn down the noise. What practices specifically do you do for yourself? So I like to do the practices that I've mentioned. I've recently been putting them all into one. And this this takes a bit longer. So if I'm very short on time, then that stillness would be just a few deep breaths, maybe doing some box breathing where you breathe in, do a breath hold and then breathe out. And that long exhalation is really what engages the parasympathetic state. So maybe breathing in for six, holding for six and then out for eight, for example, or you can do in for four. It doesn't really matter. Um, But what I'd like to do when I am kind of up early and have enough time is I actually do a six phase meditation which is um, based on the work of Vishen Lakhiani. He wrote Mm -hmm. The Extraordinary Mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And he takes you through compassion, first of all, which I find really beautiful. I know that the biggest thing for me that I had to overcome when I was depressed was self-criticism. I think I've had compassion for others, but I really didn't have any for myself. And so there's this amazing thing in the first phase of that meditation of just being compassionate with yourself and others and almost spreading the love in a color. It's a really beautiful meditation. And then it takes you through gratitude and visualization. So when I have time, and that's most mornings, I'll, I'll get up early enough to do that. It takes about 15 minutes. Um, I'll do that. But I like to, and then beyond that, checking in with myself and checking in with how I feel. Wonderful. Angela, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure and um, I honour you for your work. I think it's great to have somebody out there who's uh, not only flying the flag for the men, but also for the women. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. And so, my dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Angela as much as I did. An interesting way of optimizing your performance by looking at all aspects of your body, both holistically, incorporating good science, and also not ignoring the genes, but not making them a super priority, but really using that information to be able to make the right tweaks here and there so that you get the most out of everything that you do, your lifestyle changes, your exercise programs, your nutrition programs, and so on and so forth. Check the show notes. There are all the links to Angela's website so you can find out more from her. If you enjoyed this episode and it was of interest to you and you think it may be of interest to others, please pass it on. And of course, please rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. These days, there are so many options for where you can get your podcasts. So please subscribe, support us wherever you can. It all helps for us to get our messages out there. And if you'd like to make sure you never miss an other episode, then please go over to londonheal.com, sign up onto our mailing list, and then whenever a new episode is released, you'll get all the links delivered to your mailbox, also with extended show notes. And that leaves me, dear listeners, as always, to wish you health, happiness, and serenity. <laughs>